certainly appreciate them. Welcome to Cavanaugh Church. I pray that this is your church for life. And I'm certainly glad and delighted that you are with us today. I started uh, this week uh, working on a sermon about heaven. Uh, At least once or twice a year I try to preach on heaven because I think we need that. We need to be reminded that uh, this world is not it, man. And uh, we got a better place waiting for us. We need to live for heaven. Uh, But kind of halfway through the week, uh, we threw the brakes on that one and uh, went in a totally different direction. That doesn't mean I'm going to preach on hell today, (laughs) But uh, I am not going to preach on heaven. The Lord took me to a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I've kind of entitled this, Your Favorite Preacher, and it's along the lines of Pastor Appreciation Day. I'm not necessarily going to preach to you like I normally do on a Sunday morning. I want to try to to teach you uh, what Paul was teaching the church at Corinth. And more than anything today, if, if it is permissible on this special day, where you have honored our staff, I I just want to share my heart with you. Can we do that? Um, We have a great church. This is an awesome place, and I just want this place to be better and be the best it can be. And uh, and so today I want to share about your favorite preacher. I I got good news for you. Do y'all love good news? Okay, let's, let's hear it for some good news, man. I got good news for you today. After hundreds of years of searching, they finally found a perfect pastor. Oh, y'all are disappointed because you thought it was better than that, right? Uh, he is the preacher who pleases everyone. And I have a description of him. Can, can I read it to you? <laughs> Get a little more. Come on. Can I read this description to you? Here, here it is. He preaches exactly 12 minutes and then sits down. Yeah. You, you want his name and address right now, don't you? Huh? Form a pastor search committee immediately. Number two, he condemns sin, but he never steps on anyone's toes. That's amazing. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight, and he also serves as the church janitor. He cleans the toilets, all right? The perfect pastor makes $400 a week, yet he wears designer clothes, drives a brand new car, buys books, and donates $300 a week back to the church. Wow. He's 36 years old, but he's been preaching for 40 years. His name is Mason. (laughs) He's tall on the short side, heavy set in a thin sort of way, and very handsome. He has eyes of blue or brown, just to fit the occasion. He wears his hair parted in the middle. The left side is dark and straight. The right side is brown and wavy. He has a burning desire to work with the youth, and he spends all of his time with prime timers. He smiles all the time while keeping a straight face, and he has a keen sense of humor that finds him seriously dedicated. He makes 15 calls a day to church members and spends all of his time evangelizing the lost and is never out of the office while still spending quality time with his family. This is not going over like I thought it would. This is really good to me. Unfortunately, for those of you who want to know, he burned himself out and died at the age of 32. (laughs) Because a perfect pastor does not exist. Here's what I've discovered. Great pastors are few and far between. 
But on the flip side of that, I can honestly say that great churches are few and far between. Practically every pastor in every church, if the pastor's been there any length of time, have encountered problems and difficulties. And I believe most of the time those problems emulate or come from wrong expectations. This problem lies with the pastor as well as with his parishioners because both began their relationship with some, well, unrealistic expectations. The pastor expects a church with the commitment of the apostles. And the church, in turn, expects a pastor who can walk on water. And as a result, both parties are generally gravely disappointed. <laughs> well, with that in mind, I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I've actually got on the board verses 3 through 9, but I'm going to back up and read verses 1 and 2 because Paul kind of sets the, the stage for what he wants to teach in this passage. So here's Paul uh, talking to the church, just church members like you at Corinth, and he says this, this to them in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but I had to speak to you as carnal. Now, the, the word carnal here simply means that they are thinking in terms of the world. These are baby Christians who have been saved, but they're not thinking like Christians ought to think. I believe all of us have this kind of filter in our brain that causes us to think certain ways. And their filter was a worldly filter. So they were still looking at things from a world's perspective instead of from heaven's perspective. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to, here it is, babes in Christ. That's not babes like I call her. She's, she's babe. He's talking about babies, all right, little babies. So in verse 2 he said, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you are not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able to receive the meat of the word. Verse 3, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnally minded and behaving like mere men. Okay? So that's the basis of what he wants to say now in verse number 4. He said, I, I would love to, to preach to you the word of truth and to build you up in edification. But I can't do that because you're still acting like babies out here. You're thinking like the world. And then he explains what he's getting to in verse 4. For when one of you says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not being carnal? You're being worldly minded. Verse 5, who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but it's God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Church, you are God's field. In fact, he says, we are God's building that's being built up. Let me pause and pray, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. I pray that you would instruct us through it, navigate 
us as we make our way down through this passage. I pray that as I try to speak on the outside, that you definitely would speak on the inside. Lord, for those who need conviction in their life, I pray that you'd bring it. For those who need comfort, Lord, bring that. For all of us, help us to get the right perspective on church life and our relationship with one another. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, these immature, carnal, worldly-minded church members at Corinth were suffering from a long-standing church disease called preacheritis. Okay? Say that word with me because I love it. Ready? One, two, three. Preacheritis. You might say, well, there is no such word. Well, yes, there is. And they were guilty of it. They had their favorite preacher, and they put their preacher on a pedestal. Whether it was Apollos or Paul or some other preacher, their preacher was the man. Apollos, Apollos, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. All right? They, they thought their preacher was actually the fourth member of the Trinity. Literally, they were worshiping their favorite preacher. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, there's a lot of things wrong with that. Now, I'll just pause right here and say, you know, some preachers we really love. I mean, for, for some of you, there, there is a pastor that you've had in your past, or maybe one of the guys on our church staff right now, and they have a special place in your heart and your life. Uh, maybe they led you to the Lord, or maybe they were the one who baptized you, or, or maybe they married you, or maybe they were there for you during a difficult time in your life, and you really love that pastor. That they, they mean the world to you. Others of us may have been hurt or disappointed deeply by some pastor, and there is a scar on our heart. Every church I've pastored, I've had at least one person say to me, Preacher, I like you, okay, but I'll never get close to you. And I say, well, okay, why? And they will say something like this, because a long time ago, brother so-and-so, and they mention a pastor's name, hurt me by something they said or did. And I made a decision back then. I'm never going to get close to another pastor. And they, they've got a little bitterness growing in their heart. There's, there's, there's a, there is really a, a spiritual problem there in their heart towards this other pastor. So for some of us, there is a pastor that we really adore and we really love. He's our favorite preacher. And for others of us, there's a pastor in our past that maybe disappointed us. And we're holding a grudge against. I can tell you this, in my own life, in the first 23 years of my life, from, from the time I came out of my mother's womb until I was 23 years old, I had 12 pastors. Yeah, you just do the math on that. That's typical, right? 12 pastors in 23 years. Of the 12, 10 of them I distinctly remember. The other two, I was too young. I don't remember who those men were. But of the 10 that I remember, I can tell you this. Seven of them made a very significant impact in my life. A couple of years ago, I was, I was doing a, an assignment that somebody gave me to do about who I am today and, and why I became the man I became. And outside of my dad and some other relatives, I listed these seven pastors as the most influential people in my life. 
And I could go back right now and I could talk to you for an hour about these seven men. E.E. Zellers was my pastor when I got saved. Carl Cheshire was my pastor when I answered the call to preach. Glenn Hood was my pastor as a boy and a young adult. Lionel Cooksey was my pastor in Abilene, Texas. Keith Woody was my pastor when I was in high school. Joe Grizzle was my pastor when I was in college. And I worked for a guy named Buddy Drake who taught me how to be real, the real deal, 24-7 a day. These men meant the world to me. You know, this is just kind of a side note because you know what I'm doing today? I'm sharing my heart with you, okay? Is that okay? Can I do that? You know, our kids have heroes, people they look up to. And that's okay because we, we all need people that we look up to. But you know what? For, for my son, more than any sports figure that, that he may look up to and desire to be, I would much rather my boy look at some of the pastors of this church like Brother Johnny who was his pastor as a little kid. Now Brother Nathan, his pastor. Brother Jason, who was his youth pastor. And say, you know what? More than any sports figure out there, I want to be like one of these guys when I grow up. Don't you think our world would be a better place? (laughs) You know, if, if we just desired to be like these men of God, here's what I can say about these seven favorite preachers of mine. And I'm not going to tell you I have a favorite on that list because all seven of them meant the world to me. Here's what I know about these seven guys. They were all gifted in a different kind of way. They were all good at something different than the other. But here's what I can say about all seven of these men. They loved God and they were faithful to the call that God placed on their life. The point of this section of 1 Corinthians is that we as parishioners not think too highly of our favorite preachers or be harshly critical to those who are not. It's wrong to put preachers on a pedestal because we're just men. But at the same time, you don't need to be bad-mouthing and criticizing preachers simply because you don't like them. Preachers are men who have been called by God for the task of ministering to the people of God. And so what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is just tells us, he tells us what it takes to be on God's team. He gives us a description of what a good preacher looks like. And the first thing that we notice about a good preacher or minister of the gospel is their heart. They have a servant's heart. Look with me at verse 5 of chapter 3. Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos but ministers. If you're reading out of a newer translation, it uses the word servants. They are servants through whom you believed. You were saved under their preaching, but they are servants of God as the Lord gave each one that ministry of servanthood. The word translated minister or servants is really the Greek word from which we get the word deacon from later on in the New Testament. Now, he's not talking about the office of a deacon, but he is describing what a deacon should do. That is, have a servant's heart. The actual meaning of a deacon or this kind of servant is basically one who serves tables. A waiter. I don't know how many of you are going out to eat lunch. If you're going to a really nice place, you can invite me. 
But you will have a waiter, a, a man or a woman or a waitress who will serve your table and deliver your food. Angie thinks uh, women make better table servers than men. How many would you agree with that? Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're just, we're just looking here. I've, I've had a few, you know, good guys who are waiting. You know, that's what I am. That's what I'm doing this morning. That's my number one job. I serve you a spiritual meal. Every Sunday when you come in here, my job is to set the table for you, to give you the Word of God, whether it's the milk of the Word or the meat of the Word. God has called me to serve you a spiritual meal. And that's what Paul was referring to here when he says, you've been saved through their ministry, through their servanthood. They've served the Word of God to you, and you received it. And you've got to have a servant's heart to do that. The greatest preachers are men of God who know that they serve the king and therefore they are very conscious of the meal that they set out before the people because it comes from God. I believe I'm going to be judged by God what I preach to you. So I want to give you the best spiritual meal that I possibly can give you every time you come to church here. Now, I can't make you eat it. But I certainly can present it to you in edible fashion so that you can take in the Word of God and grow to spiritual maturity. So that, isn't that a beautiful word picture? Okay, A servant who serves a spiritual meal. I, I like that, that picture, but there's also another picture in the New Testament of what it is to be a pastor. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. So as we think of a shepherd with a servant's heart, we, we think of this picture right here. I've got a video for you. Of uh, Looky there. Isn't that cool? You, what do you see there? What, what do we see a herd of? A, a herd of sheep, a bunch of little sheep right there. And who are the sheep in here? Raise your hand if you're a sheep. All right? All right? Y'all are the sheep. And then we got a shepherd there, a guy with a staff. We could call that the good shepherd because you know what? He loves his sheep and he's taking care of his sheep. And then what else do we got? A border collie. I love border collies. If Angie would let me have another dog, I'd have a border collie. They're about the smartest dog there is. They're herding dogs. They're smart dogs. And here's this dog herding the sheep. He's following the commands from the good shepherd, either a verbal command, a hand command, a command with the staff, but whatever the shepherd says to do, that's what the dog is doing with the sheep, herding the sheep, protecting sheep, sheep guiding the sheep, taking care of the sheep. There it is, man. Woo! Don't you love sheep dogs? Oh, I thought this was a better illustration than what you think. I see what we do, Jason, the sheepdogs. Man, we're the sheepdogs. We're not the good shepherd. There's only one good shepherd. That's Jesus himself. There's a lot of us who are sheep, but God has selected certain men to guide and lead and protect the sheep. And we're just the sheepdogs who take care of the sheep. Now, don't go out of here calling me a dog. But I think it's a pretty good analogy, you know? Now, let me just make this real clear to you, okay? And what am I doing today? Okay, thank you, Ronnie. I'm sharing my heart with you, and I want you to see my heart. What makes a good sheepdog 
is that the sheepdog is loyal to and loves the shepherd. I've got a good friend over in Salisaw. He's a hat maker. He, he makes my cowboy hats. He's also a rancher. And he breeds border collies. And so if you go in his hat shop over in Salisaw, he's going to have one, two, or three, sometimes four, border collies in there that he's training. I asked him one day, uh, he's got this dog that I've seen for years, and I said, Dwayne, how, how much is that dog? He said, well, if you could buy that dog, it'd probably cost you $7,000. He said, that, that, that is, that, that's a high-quality uh, herding dog that I've trained since he's a puppy, and, and, and it is a good dog. Then he had this other little dog that I just loved. He was he's more of a pup. He had, he had one uh, blue eye and one brown eye. It's the coolest-looking dog I've ever seen, man. He said, Th that one would only cost you $2,700. Because it's, it's, just, it's just a pup and, and trying to grow. I said, well, man, wow, that, that's awesome. But here's what I know about his dogs. Those dogs, the whole time that I'm in that hat shop, they keep looking at him. I mean, they're just looking at him constantly. They're waiting for a signal from their master. Why? Because they're highly devoted to their master. And anything Dwayne tells that dog to do, that dog is going to do it. Because that dog loves Dwayne. That's the way it's supposed to work in the church, guys. I love you, and I serve you because I love you, but that's not the reason that I serve you. Do you get that? I know it sounded a little confusing there. The reason I serve you out of love is because I love the good shepherd. And because I love the good shepherd... I do what he tells me to do. I lead you, I guide you, I feed you, I protect you. But it's because I love him. Now sometimes we get that cocky jawed and sometimes a preacher does what he does simply for the applause of the people and for the love of the people and because he loves the people. But, but you're getting the cart before the horse when you do that and you're always asking for trouble. All of our pastors love you and serve you, but we do it because we love the master. And, and let me just bring this down to a personal application for all of us. I'm talking about pastors today, but you know what? You yourself are a pastor. You've been called to a ministry. If you are saved and a part of this church, God has a job for you to do. And the only way you can be effective in your ministry is to have this servant's heart and serve other people because you love the good shepherd. Number two, in order to do that, you've got to know your personal assignment. Verse 5. I'm reading out of the NIV now. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So the question is... Are preachers different? The answer is yes, they are. Why? Because the Lord has called each of us to a different task. And God has gifted us in different ways. In the next verse, Paul talks about how he had been the one who planted the seed by preaching the gospel to them. And then Apollos came along. And apparently Apollos was this powerful orator and preacher. And he watered the seed. Paul and Apollos had different assignments, but one was not better than the other. They were both important. They were both needed. One to plant the seed, the other to water the seed. Now, let me, 
Can I take my jacket off because I'm burning up? I should have preached on hell, I think, because I'm so hot. Can I tell you something, guys? We are blessed at Kavanaugh Church. My lands were blessed. We have seven pastors on staff here. Um, Not long ago, somebody, I'm not going to tell you that story. (laughs) He said, I'm not going to be a part of a church that pays five pastors. Well, dude, you're wrong. We pay seven pastors. So, you know, anyway, a totally different story. Don't. Don't, don't get me going right here, but I am sharing my what with you? My heart with you. We are blessed to have seven pastors on this staff. That is, that is a blessing. Why is that a blessing? Because each one of these has a specific task that they're gifted at and assigned to. And let me tell you, they're good at it. They are great at it. I don't know of a better kids pastor than Johnny Miller. I mean, he's great. Okay. Oh, look, look, look I, remember, I remember when you and your family came here to, uh, to interview for the job. Your dad was on a Sunday night. Your dad was doing some magic tricks. <laughs> and they didn't quite work. And look, you were just, I don't, how old were you? Like seventh grade, maybe sixth, seventh grade, something like that. And oh, Lucas, y'all remember that? Lucas was running all through the sanctuary, throwing frisbees and stuff. And man, that was awesome. You know, do you know why Brother Johnny is such a great children's pastor? not that hard. <laughs> he thinks like kids. I mean, he does, doesn't he, Gail? He is just one big kid, really. And he loves kids. He's, he's the best. There. Brother Nathan, I'm so glad to have you, Nathan. Man, I got to, oh, man, it's hard to do that when you're old. Let me come down here. Let me do this. This guy's awesome, isn't he? He's awesome. He, he's, a, he's 150 pounds of awesomeness, man. <laughs> Johnny, I love you too. You're awesome too, man. Here, here's I got a I got a good buddy in uh, in Oklahoma who he he always asked me about Nathan. He said, "How's Nathan doing for you?" I said, oh, "Nathan's doing great." And here's what my buddy says. He says that Nathan, he's a kid magnet, and I think he is. Kids are attracted to him. Ray Copeland. Ray, Ray was in the first service. He's he's uh, he's not in here right now. Let me tell you. Ray came to first service, he, it drained him, so he had to go home and rest because he's a, he's a prime. There is not a better prime timer pastor in the world than Ray Copeland. Really, I mean, he loves people. Uh, Double D's awesome. Double D, you up there in the sound booth. Y'all give it. Double D's awesome. He's great. I don't know of another creative media pastor who has a Master's of Divinity degree. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Good. Brother Jason, stand up here, buddy. I, mean, I love Brother Jason. Man, I love this guy. Isn't he great? We're, 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 we're a team, me and Brother Jason. We, we thought Brother Jason was an awesome youth pastor for 18 years, but you know what? That was just getting him ready to do what he was really made to do. He was made to be an executive pastor. And he's awesome at it. This guy has a chemical engineering degree from OSU. He thinks that way, man. And he has brought so much order to our staff. When I was, when I was in charge of the staff, he was like herding a bunch of cats, man. And, and Jason is just, Jason is awesome at it. He's found his niche. We're glad to have Brother Enjoy. We love you. you know, stand up. because I, I, found out, I found out Wednesday night what her real name is. Cookie. Cookie. 
She's cookie. There's a story about that. Go back and go back and watch Wednesday night sermon that Brother Jason preached. She's cookie. Here, here's the oh, 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 oh. I don't know about you guys, but I think it's time after eight years that we make it official and permanent. Miss Angie, music director, permanent status. If, if I, listen, listen, listen to, listen to me, listen to me. If these things didn't cost so much money, I'd just drop this and walk off the stage, you know? <laughs> just drop the mic and walk off. Here, here's, here's what I know about my job security. As long as Miss Angie's doing her job, I don't have to worry about mine. Because, <laughs> because you're going to put up with me because of her, right? Here's the point I'm trying to make, and I've belabored it, I know. But I am so thankful we have all of these different people doing what they do. Because God has gifted them in a very special way. Not long ago, I was at a big preaching conference, and, and these guys were talking to me, and they were just kind of, yeah, they were stroking me, saying, man, you're a great pastor, Brother Will. You've done a great job at Kavanaugh, blah, 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 blah. What's the secret of your success? And I said, well, it's nothing on me because I'm a dope, man. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm a, I'm a nerd. The, the best thing I've done is I've surrounded my Self with quality people who know what they're doing and the greatest thing I can do is just get out of the way and let them do it. And I really believe that. I'm thankful we have these people. Each one of them has a specific task and they are doing their job. But you know what I'm doing this morning? I'm sharing my heart with you. I know that you connect with these different pastors and that's awesome. I'm glad you do. They need that connection. They need your support. But, but here's, here's, here's the warning. Don't take your favorite preacher and elevate them above any of the rest of us. Because you know what? We don't roll that way around here. We're on an equal basis. We love each other and we support each other. And that's the way you need to be with all of our pastors on staff. You love and you support them. Now, I have an application in that for all of us. In ministry, in the body of Christ, it's so important that we understand we all have a different assignment in the body of Christ. God has given us a specific spiritual gift that we are to do. Remember a few weeks ago, I preached on the spiritual gifts in the illustration that God uses, the body. Every body part is important. God has something for you to do at Kavanaugh Church for the edification of the body of Christ. And if you are not doing what God has called you to do, the rest of the body suffers. So understand there is a personal assignment. Then number three, and I need to hurry up here. Number three, you can't do it without the Lord's assistance. None of us can. Verses six and seven. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Who gave the increase? God did. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. You know, I'm going to be honest with you because you know what I'm doing today. I'm sharing my heart with you. Sometimes, sometimes the, the devil gets a hold of my head and he starts telling me how good I am. You know, like, like occasionally, every once in a while... Ever, ever blue Sunday, I'll go home and I'll think to myself, man, dude, that was a good sermon you preached, man. 
I mean, you, you were bumping on all eight cylinders, Willis. You, 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 you don't know that's my name? There's a little boy in our church. He calls me Pastor Willis. He's the only one who can call me that, all right? You know, I'll, I'll get to thinking too highly of myself. I've, I've had the privilege three different times to preach at our National Association. That, that's a rarity. It, 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 it's an honor just to get to preach one time at the National if you're a pastor in Freeville. But I've had the privilege of preaching there three times. and I could, the, the, the devil has done that number on me. Man, you're something, Will. But you know what? I, I realize I'm nothing. Really, I am nothing. I'm this dumb kid that was raised in West Texas. When I was in high school, I could hardly read. I was a social outcast. I was a nerd amongst nerds, you know? And it is amazing to me that God could take something that was nothing and allow me to do what I've had the privilege of doing. But I have to stay grounded in this truth that, you know what? It is not me, nor is it that guy or that lady or that guy or any of us. It's God. Nothing is, po nothing is possible in the church without the blessings of God. We must have His assistance. Now, I told the first service people, you know, here, here's the trap that a lot of churches fall into. Sometimes church can become this big piece of machinery with all these gears and working parts. And, and we just cultivate this thing and make this thing this big ball that's moving and, and, and rolling and the gears are turning. And, and sometimes it happens and we have church and, and the praise team is kicking it. Man, oh, oh, Eric is up there, man, and he's thumping it and he's moving around like Eric does. And, and, and the lights are down and you're praising and it's awesome. And, and somebody gets up here and preaches and you go home and think, man, that was great. But you know what? If we're not careful, we can do all of this and leave God completely out. We get so good at what we're doing that sometimes we leave the most important key to the whole puzzle out, and that's God. We need to be reminded, church, that you know what? Nothing is possible without the Lord's assistance. I might plant, Jason may water. But God gives the increase. We all have a common purpose in mind. Verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So all the ministers and ministries of the church and for the church have one purpose. And that is God's purpose. And to see God's purposes fulfilled has got to be our highest aim and ambition. We're doing this for God. Our lives are for God, not for ourselves. That's why he says in verse 9, For we are God's fellow workers. All of us, we're God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And so the one purpose that we have, whether it be a staff or whether it be a church, is tending God's field, taking care of the world harvest, and also constructing God's building. That's our common purpose. And then finally... He talks about our specific reward. Verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now what's interesting to me about this is that, that the rewards are not according to the results. And man, am I thankful for that. But the rewards are according to our labor. To our faithfulness. 
make no mistake about it. When I stand before God, God is going to judge me based on what I preach to you and how I lead you as a pastor. The good news for me is it's not based on results. What God is going to base all of that on is my faithfulness to the task that he has called me to. And the same thing goes for you. You don't have to worry about the results. Now, we all want to see results, don't we? You better believe we do. And I think God gives results at the right time. But our reward is not based on results. Our reward is based on our faithfulness to God, to be faithful to Him, to do what He has called us to do. The verse says, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. There is a work that nobody can do but you. God has assigned a task, a job for you to do. You and you alone. And get this, nobody else can do what God has called you to do. And quite frankly, if you don't do what God has called you to do, and I've moved over here because I'm going to use bad grammar, it ain't going to get done. Now, if you don't have that proper theology about servanthood and serving God, you're going to come up with some wrong conclusions. That's why I take from the story of Jonah. Nobody else could have gone and preached to the Ninevites except Jonah. God called Jonah to do that. And if Jonah had not gone, if he would have just kept running and not repented and went and told the Ninevites, they would have never heard. And if, 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 if you don't understand that and have that concept of serving our Heavenly Father, you will come to the conclusion, you know what, I can serve God anytime I want to, any way I want to, any place I want to. And that, that's just not true. God calls us to a specific task. And if you don't do what you've been called to do, the job doesn't get done. So be faithful. Okay? Be faithful and we'll all be blessed. What is your labor? What is your work? Are you faithful to the task? That is one of the most important things that happens in a person's life. Finding their specific calling in ministry and then just being faithful to it. I, I, really, think, I really think Paul was a little ticked off at the Christians at Corinth. I, I really do. I think he was really upset with them. He said, you guys, you guys don't get it. You're, you're, you're looking at this from the wrong perspective. You're looking at this the way the world looks at this. You're elevating preachers and putting them on pedestals. Or maybe you're taking a preacher and you're just casting him aside because he doesn't meet your expectations. He said, guys, listen, preachers are nothing. They're just men of God. This is all about God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. God is paramount. So start thinking correctly. And, and, and I want to close with this because here's what I know is true. Because I've seen it time and time again. If you have a church like our church, and there is conflict between the people and the pastors, whether it's the senior pastor or a staff member, if there is conflict in the church between parishioners and pastors, the blessings of God are not going to be there. God doesn't bless stuff like that. God's not a part of that. That church is in turmoil Probably what's going to happen is they're going to keep calling pastors, firing pastors, calling pastors, firing pastors, because they just can't get along with each other. On the other hand, I've seen this a few times. The church and the pastor 
You know, they may have differences of opinion, but you know what? They understand what the priority is. It's God's purpose. And so they look over their own selfishness, and they come together, and they love each other, and they unite, and they work together for the common purpose of building the kingdom of God. And when a church and a group of pastors do that together, God's all over that. God blesses that. That church grows. Now you tell me, just tell me, which church do you want to be a part of? I want to be a part of this church that God's blessing. Okay? So my commitment to you is that I'm going to love you. And I'm going to serve you. Why? Because I love the good shepherd. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to be there for you. You know what? I got your back. I do. I got your back. I'm going to stand for you. I'm going to be your friend in good times and bad times. When you're an outstanding Christian citizen, I'm right there with you. But you know what? If you stumble and fall, guess what? I'm going to be there to help you up. Every time you come in these doors, I'm going to do the absolute best job I personally can do in serving you a spiritual meal that will satisfy the cravings of your soul and spur you on to Christian maturity. That's my promise to you. And I will do it until God takes me out of here or calls me someplace else. In turn, I ask that you consider this. Tom Rainer says the greatest thing you can do for your pastor or your staff is three things, and it all centers around pray. You can pray for him and his family. Would you do that? Would you make a commitment? You know, every day I'm going to pray for the pastors of my church. Not just the men, but I'm going to pray for their wives and their families. Jason and Joy are raising four boys. Man, they've got a full-time job right there. Oh, Cookie needs your help. (laughs) Shawnee's raising little Jedediah, and man, he's a handful. Jedediah's two now, isn't he? What's he he going through, Nathan? Oh, he he just started the terrible two. They need our prayers. Would you pray for your pastors and their family? Number two, he says that you need to be praying for his protection. We have an enemy of the soul, the devil, and as a roaring lion, he is seeking those whom he can devour. And make no mistake about it, he's after the sheep. Oh, he's after the sheep. He loves to gnaw on sheep. But you know what? Even more than that, he likes to get a hold of the sheep dog. Are you with me? Over the last couple of months, I've had two preacher friends who have fallen into temptation and sinned and are no longer in the ministry. It happens. It happens. Whenever something like that happens, I sit down with our staff and I tell you guys, listen, you can never be too careful. And we we lay it out and we try to make instructions of of guidance and and how we don't get along alone with people of the opposite sex and and how we're always, you know, we got the guard up. Because you know what? You got to keep your guard up. And I know the devil is after the pastors of this church. The, de- can I t- the devil's after me. I used to think when I was young and naive that I, I would get to a certain age and all those temptations would stop. <laughs> no temptations stop. At 56, I have more temptations than I did at 25. So please pray for your pastor and his protection. Number three, pray for him physically and mentally. Man, we need that. We need that. Here's the deal. Listen, God, I love you, and I pray for you. 
Would you love your pastors? And would you pray for